G'day everyone, welcome to Get Lost with a Travel Guide. My name is Ben, your host, and today, oh man, I've been looking forward to this one for a while. We've got an old friend of mine who's a tour guide, well, we used to do tours together in Europe called Carly, but most importantly, we're going to be covering a country I've never been and most likely you'll never go to, none of us will ever go to, but Carly has spent a bit of time there. It's in Iraq, would you believe that? I don't know anything about it except for what you see on TV and it's all about war. That's that's all I know. That's all we're all we're shown. That's all we sort of learnt about it. You know, you you think of Australia, you think of the Opera House or a Kangaroo. You think of the United States. You think of, you know, the, the you think of Hollywood. You think of New York. But when you think of Iraq, you think of war. Um, but hopefully, Carly can shed some light on it. So, Carly, how long have you? You're not in Iraq at the moment. I thought you were. You've only recently got back to England. Is that right? <laughs> Yeah, recently arrived back from Iraq. So I've been back about a week now. Yeah, so just got back from Iraq. Yep, yep. Just flew back. Literally, that was my first trip I went on since COVID. So that was my uh, my first. Uh, I would say holiday, but going to Iraq's not really what you'd think of when you think of going on holiday, is it? <laughs> Doesn't Why? really spring. No. Why did you go? Well, I've got. I work as a as a tour leader, so I'm heading out on uh, on a tour there. So I freelance for another company. And um, the people who want to go to these places are probably more adventurous in their mind. And they kind of, despite all the COVID regulations and whatnot, they're thinking heading to Iraq. So that's where I, I head to. And I lived in Syria for a while. So my passion and love is the Middle East. Okay. And, that's a whole yeah. other podcast right there is Syria. <laughs> it's another one. I know. I've got, Holy I've got shit. A few, ben. I've got quite a few we could talk about. I'm guessing... Um, I've been to some countries like like remote parts in, say, Cambodia or in parts of South America where Western culture just, just barely, you can't even smell it. It's, 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 it's like I was walking down the street and people were taking selfies with me because I was, I was so different. Is that what it's like? Yeah, yeah. Hit the nail on the head completely. And that's what's quite, that's what I love about these countries. People are so fascinated and they kind of, and also it gives them hope. They think if tourists are coming back, then everything must be fine in our country. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm in so many selfies. I mean, probably, you know, young boys and probably their wife, you know, in some of them, <laughs> they've gone back to their mates and their family. <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, but even, even older travellers on tour, they've been in photos with families. So yeah, we're in all the family albums somewhere in Iraq and Syria. So how does that work? Like, like some people, most of the countries, you know, you can just turn up, book an Airbnb and you, you know, you don't have to book a tour to do it. Can you do that in Iraq? Well, with Iraq, you have, especially in Southern Iraq. So we have Southern Iraq, uh, where Baghdad is, well, Baghdad is still the capital of Iraq, but you've got the autonomous region, region of Kurdistan in the North. So they kind of call it Northern Iraq, Southern Iraq. So northern Iraq, Kurdistan, a lot of people have been traveling for quite a while. It's still Iraq. It still brings up that notion of war there. Um, and I think uh, Daesh and ISIS had been there, I think it was about 2018. But people hike in these areas. So this is, this is kind of relatively open to tourism. But in the south, it's not. And there are still lots of police checks. So we can spend hours and hours and hours sat at a police check. Or they just look through the passports. What are they checking? They just check for half the time. They want to have a little laugh with us and see what football team we support, see what ladies <laughs> are on the bus, have a little scout around, and they're like, "Hi, welcome to our country." 
Some of them like to um, sort of reiterate their position of power. Some of them are militia, so they're from a certain religious faction and it's their territory. So they just want to have a check on board and it's all the bureaucracy that probably would have happened in Europe maybe 50, 60 years ago. I mean, nothing's on the internet. It's all paperwork, paperwork. You then travel another five minutes, probably not even five minutes, a minute down the road to another police check. And they do the same. And you think, could you not just phone your mate and tell him <laughs> on the way? You know, a bit of communicate. It's all kind of done a little bit backward, but that adds to the kind of uniqueness, I suppose. Absolutely. So... I, uh, prior to this podcast, is doing a little bit of homework. And it says, and I'm just going to quote this off this iPad just so I don't get my words incorrect. So as Australian, we go to what's called smarttraveler.gov.au. This is like the Bible written by our government saying do's and don'ts to where to go abroad, what's safe, what's not. So I looked up (laughs) Iraq and it says do not travel. It then says after that, the security situation throughout Iraq remains volatile. There has been an increase of protest activity following the parliamentary elections 10th of October, so only last month. Due to the volatile security environment and the ongoing threat of kidnappings, we advise you to leave Iraq as soon as you can. If you're staying in Iraq, be alert and check media updates, all these new threats. Or you can just ask Carly, what is what is the latest? <laughs> is that correct? Is that far-fetched? Is this... Yeah. Is the Australian uh, government spot on? So you should just get out of there? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the English one, it's pretty much the same. I say to my mum before I go, like, mum, just don't read that. Trust me, I'm going to Iraq. I know these countries. I know what, it's, I know what it says. Um, these countries are volatile. There's no doubting that. Um, and, but I think from the years that I've spent, and it has been many, many years I've spent in the Middle East, the people themselves don't represent what's, as we know from the media. Um, and that's one thing I've learned from living in Syria and traveling in regions like Iraq and Iran, that the people are the most hospitable I've ever met in my life. And it really changed my, my mindset. It really switched my thoughts the other way. And in a way, it was kind of like, I guess it, it sounds a bit cheesy, like an awakening to what this part of the world could be like. And it really opened up my door, my world. Um, to how kind people could be. We don't really have that in the West. We don't. Why do you this. think that is? Why do you think know. their culture's promoting kindness and being I hospitable? In the, I mean, I'm not necessarily religious myself, but the roots of Islam, this is, you know, it is it's essentially, you know, loving thy neighbour. Um, this, you know, this this sort of kindness that exudes them, I do feel that there's a big sense of community that we no longer have in the West. And religion, I think, does bind people in this way. Also, I mean, you probably have it in Australia, don't you, Ben? I mean, we have it in the UK. At night, you shut your door. Neighbours don't interact anymore. People right. on the street don't. But out in these countries, people people do. They have big families and all that, and they all help to bring up the children. They're all in the street. They all go to get together for, for food. They get together for prayer every Friday. So it is very community-based and they will, I mean, I've got so many examples of just this raw kindness where they will go out of their way to genuinely help you, genuinely make you feel kind. I mean, I could not walk down the street sometimes in mm. some of these countries without the offer of come to my house for food, meet my family, try this food, please sit with me. And it's genuine. And I think that's what really stands out in these countries, despite what 
we read with the governments what they tell yeah, us. Yeah, I've, I've got my own theories on that. Um, like I said, I haven't been, but I have been to some pretty like third world parts of the planet. And my theory is there's lack of ownership. Like like we we in Western society have an uh, inspiration to work, save, buy a house. What's mine is mine. I've worked for this. This is, you know, worked in a factory. I've climbed the corporate ladder. I'm, I'm you know, property investing. I'm, you know, gaining equity. And it's my me, 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 me. Or maybe it's if you and your wife or your partner or whatever. Whereas in poorer nations, it's like about a matter of survival because, yeah. you know, someone that has been through the toughest of times are often more giving because they've, uh, I don't know what it's like. I can only sort of best empathise, but because they don't have that, it's this concept of sharing, like sort of no like possessions of, of acquiring more and more for self. It's like, well, I've got enough. I'm alive. I've, I've got a roof over my head. And if I come across two meals, well, let's share it. Yeah. It's sort of my interpretation of that. And people might see it differently, but there's this energy of like, I don't know, like happiness. Of, it is. Of you, you, I agree with you. You're accurate in what you say. And it is, they have lived through the worst of times. And also within, within like the Arabic language itself, and everything is like, I will always hear the word inshallah, which is if God wills it to happen. Every, in our lives, we sort of, in the West, let's say, we are striving for this future or we're striving to do. We're always sort of doing hobbies aren't we we're hiking walking um we're finding things to do but it seems to me in the east or in the middle east as well they are just being there's no there's none of this rushing for time which can frustrate the hell out of me as you can imagine as a tour guide when we are trying to fit things in in a day that's <laughs> a whole other other. story <laughs> <laughs> god, if god wills it we'll arrive by sunset i'm like no 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 we, we can we can help this too you know we can you know work together and so there's this sense of just letting life be and they will mm. you know you'll see collections of men who are just sitting drinking tea whiling away the day and we are all in a rush to do whereas they they just are and it's something that as I said does frustrate me but at the same time I do admire we can take a lot from that like nobody gets that angry when cars are going down the street the different way which they do in Iraq cars mm. are parked everywhere and you can hardly walk anywhere people are doing what they want in traffic there are no road rules and everyone just retains this sort of, it looks chaotic, but there's this element of calmness that they have within themselves. And like you say, I mean, does that come from religion? Does that come from living where they are on the brink of this fertility? Is that the right word even? Where it can all be taken yeah, away, has just, been taken away. You just accept, well, it is what it is. You know, let's mm. sort of, like, which is, uh, you know, looking at things will, this is glass half empty or glass half full. And it's not hard yeah. in Western culture to look at it in a glass half empty because we're always striving for that next level. So I guess you're trying to, I think we're trying to uncover is the overall difference of the, the culture, like of, of Iraq, or, or is it similar to that around the Middle East also? Like, as you yeah, said, around Syria. I, yeah. I would say so. I mean, Syria as well, there were a lot of different religious sects who would live side by side. Mm. Um, and before the issues they had there, this, you know, this, this is this is how they would. And it was just more, it was more Syrians as a nation who would 
have this, you know, this giving nature, this hospitable nature. Mm. And the same I found in Iran. I mean, they're, they're my favorite countries in the world. Iran is that the reason why? Like just for the, the... I think so, yeah. Wow. Because of the people. And the food. Oh, my God, the food too. The food's really good. <laughs> oh, we'll cover that one. How can I forget the food? <laughs> I mean, I don't drink. There's no alcohol. There's no alcohol in Iraq. I mean, in, sorry, in, in the north, in Kurdistan, uh, but in the south, I sort of go on a bit of a detox there. It's quite nice. Well, I want to save that because that's something really positive. I want to really try and get to some of these harder questions of like, how do you even get there? Like, uh, like <laughs> I said, our, my government says, don't go, leave right now. You're saying, no, 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 it can be done. <laughs> how can it be done? How can, like, do you have to book a tour group or can you just fly? I don't think I can even fly legally to Baghdad. I, I haven't seen that. I can't, well, actually, I can't even fly to my own state at the moment. But <laughs> how, do, how do we get there? How do I, how do I pop um, in? Uh, pop it. So I flew usually via Istanbul. You can go pretty much anywhere. I flew via Doha as well. So from the state, the Gulf states, you can fly easily enough. I mean, I did fly to Iraq for the first time two years, two and a half years ago. And this is when protests were at their peak. So we were still a bit unsure whether to go. But back then, you had to travel as a group to southern Iraq. It was really difficult to get a visa. Not necessarily because our countries are saying don't go, but just because of the system in Iraq. It was a nightmare. You had to send your passport to the UK. You had to apply three months before. There had to be a minimum of five people. You had to have an Iraqi guide or fixer. You had to have all of these these you know to even be able to go so a lot of people would have to travel as a group or if you had a lot of money you would have a private guide mm. recently i think they have visa on arrival in iraq now i was a bit unsure about how this would work knowing these countries bless them sometimes they're not quite so hot on these procedures but i landed got my visa on arrival in less time than it probably took to i don't know get through doing this how did you do that just, yeah, just got my British passport and went to a little desk there. The guy's there saying, give me your passport. Sat down for five minutes. Boom, visa. So you can turn up willy-nilly if you've got a bit of, bit of cash to back it All up. All you need to have is um, hotel confirmation. That's what they want to see. If you don't have that, you pay an extra $50. Who knows what that $50 is for? Mm. Always, I mean, Iraq is corrupt. There's no doubt about that. But Yeah, I was looking into that. Like um, when you say corrupt, are you talking about the police, the politics, everyone? I've heard because the, yeah. the, the, the smart traveller said um, like the, the crime's really high, kidnappings. Is it all, is it all connected? How is, is, how's this overall safety of corruption? I mean, so and- I think, I mean, I would never sit here and say to people, yes, definitely go to Iraq. I think... I think you have to have an element of caution. And I think people who I travel with on these tours are extremely well-traveled and have spent time in other countries. If we, if myself or the local guide fixer who I work with says, do not go out of your hotel, we have to travel as a group, then we do. And when I first went to Iraq two years ago, this was the case. We had to travel as a group for our own safety. Myself and my friend went out at night obviously being a tour guide you know the rules are a little bit you're the fearless leader yeah we wanted to (laughs) to go and see the protest to our set for ourselves but we stuck together now as a female on my own I would not have gone I would as a yeah I would not have gone there because journalists can get kidnapped we have heard stories of this in Iraq during that time I would not have 
wandered off on my own. I listened to the guide, my fixer, and respected what was being said. Um, but this is a small percent of people who are doing this. Back 10 years ago, yeah, God, no way. Iraq was not a place to probably be because there's a lot of money for Westerners who work for aid agencies, you know, because of the insurance. Mm. Um, but this time I just visited, I was at a Halloween party in Baghdad. I was walking down the streets, getting my own street food. Getting a Halloween children. party in Baghdad? Who would have thought a pagan festival? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, but there is this, there is this part of, if you, it's, we have this notion, like we say, and it's about being streetwise as well. And if I, I listen to the people on the ground, if they saying the situation's volatile, we're not going to go to this area, we don't. But as you know, from our countries, when we hear about protests happening in Sydney, it's not all over Sydney. It would be mm. in a small area of Sydney, so we would avoid that area. Some yeah. things are so different to what we read as to when we actually get there. And to be there, it felt I felt so free to be away in Iraq again because of all of the things we read about, do not do this, fear, fear, fear. And a lot of it is, you know, it, it's... Fear it sells. Yeah. Fear, fear sells. Fear... It's <laughs> exactly that. So... You know, if there is a war on, that's front page news, and that's that's a lot of people watching that program. So, yeah. um, I guess in essence of that, um, let's talk about the reasons why to go to Iraq. I mean, it's pretty easy to find all the reasons why not to go. You don't have to just <laughs> Google it, and it's like, don't go. Um, yeah. But why? So, if you can go there, I mean. I'm thinking if I had to go there, I'd have to dress up like Rambo with machine guns and just defend my way through because that's what TV's telling you. But I, you're not looking like Arnie. You're not looking like you're, you know, out of scene of Predator or got Sylvester Sloan headband. So how did you survive? Yeah, like what? What are all the good things? As you said, I mean, you said there's a good amount of culture there, and they're doing yeah, Halloween. Yeah. But what is the other moments where it sort of blew your mind? Like, yeah, right. That's that's happening in Iraq. Apart from, yeah, apart from the Halloween party. I mean, that was, that was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yet they have so fascinating sites. I mean, this is, this is the cradle of civilization. People want to visit this area to see some of these sites that have been here from the very, very start. I mean, the, the marshes, the lands here, the fertile crescent. This is, where, this is where people first, you know, this is where it all began. I mean, you have the first works of literature, the Epic of Gilgamesh. This came from these parts of the world. This is where... Um, the, the you know astrology we think sometimes we have learned this from the west but predominantly this part in mesopotamia so people will come to visit sites such as samara which is one of the it's a twisted minaret it's somewhat probably if you see photos of iraq this is one of the iconic um, um uh, minarets uh there are lots of sites lots of ziggurats ziggurats which are, which are like the pyramids um so people can get closer to god so a lot of people a lot of architects um architectures archaeologists uh work out there so they're still discovering um a lot of a lot of hidden treasures there essentially so there's a tremendous like um, the museum of, of history has that been impacted by war yeah. like have they like, or have they oh yes like do these things accidentally or deliberately get blown up or or did because i know in some areas uh, particularly in europe they were like i think the british and the Nazis, despite being at war, I think there were certain areas of Europe where, like, how about we don't blow this up? 
that just of no value of blowing it up. Let's take the war 50 miles up the road. So it, it avoids that. And it was kind of like this, as much as all the disagreement, they both went, all right. You know, like sort of, to my knowledge, I can't say I was in World War II. No, for sure. But it's just some things I've read. But I wonder if anything like that had happened, like, you know, during the disaster zones. But Yeah, there was, yeah. Between with Saddam being there, he his uh, yeah he would build palaces at the ancient site of Babylon. Um, the U.S. Army, when uh, they came in, the U.S. military, they would use these ancient sites as their grounds. Lots of looting happened from Iraqis. Uh, lots of things got taken from the country. Lots of things got taken by colonization. So things are in the Berlin Museum and the British Museum. Yeah, right. Um, so it's but a lot a lot did get returned to the museum. So the museum itself was fascinating. So people come people come for these reasons, for the historical reasons. There are I visit these countries because I I get as I've explained and I keep reiterating the sense of um, kindness and I have a lot of friends there. I've got because I had a lot of refugee friends when I lived in Syria and they would always say come to Iraq. I started to love the Iraqi music, so I, I love the culture myself. And a lot of people on the tours also love the region, the similar country. So they will come to mm. experience that again. But there are a few people who will visit just to tick off a country. What? There's that website, isn't there? It's yeah, like, part. sorry, I want to ask you about the music, but you're right. Like, um, like I'd imagine you go to certain countries and, you know, you're a Westerner and it's, it's, it's well-equipped for tourism, equipped for tourism. You know, there might be a stand stall or a souvenir shop that just, it, that no tourists are coming. Like, they know we're coming. But I'd imagine there's only a handful of countries left, and Iraq's definitely one of them, where you can turn up and they're not, it's not designed for bulk amount of tourists to turn up. Like, you go to Venice, it's built on tourism nowadays. And it, it never used to be, but nowadays it is. You know, Iraq might get there in 100, 200, 500 years, like many other parts of the world. Maybe even only 20, 10, 20 years, I don't know. But... Um, but is that one of the good reasons to go? Like you go there and you're like, man, I am I am on a different planet. Yes, that's that's yeah, I had forgotten that, but that is one of the main reasons because you are having an authentic experience and interaction with locals. And that's what people we all strive, don't we? I think when we travel to have this feeling of experiencing something new, something unique. And I well, think it's, it's the difference of going like there's a holiday maker. You can go to Fiji or Bali or Spain and you lie by the beach. If you want travel, is there anything else like holy shit slap you in the face travel experience in Iraq that you've? I mean, you're a world traveled bloody cookie. <laughs> <laughs> is it is it up there? Is I think yeah, one? I think, and I think it is because of the unique experience you are you are having with the locals too. I mean, like you just like you said a minute ago about there is no tourist infrastructure. I mean, you're completely right. And it just made me laugh as you were saying that because I have a few people wanting some postcards. <laughs> so we were in Baghdad trying to find these postcards. And these we find we find about five and they look like they've been there since the 80s. They're just covered in dust because <laughs> them. So we get these a couple of people get these postcards. And then it's like, oh, we'll get some stamps. No, 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 there's, there's no stamps. You can't get stamps. Okay, well, maybe we'll try somewhere else. And then we'll obviously go to a post office and post them. No, 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 there's no posted. You can't post. So none of us, people in the West, they, they couldn't get their heads around this. But how do you, and the, the, the people that is the sanctions for everything, that you just, it would, if, if that 
was to happen, to be able to post something, it could it might just take four months to get there. Mm. So this whole concept that we kind of take for granted, you can't even post a postcard. So that's like the, yeah. So that's that's a beautiful thing. What so many people right now be like, nah, not going. End of story. Can't can't cope. <laughs> but as you said, you got to be a pretty hardened, seasoned, well-travelled. You know, a lot of common sense. Have your thinking cap on to really. Uh, probably enjoy that ex- or appreciate it you know it's yeah. like maybe the holiday expected said you could go up the mountains and do some hiking so there's adventure uh sort of fun element you could but you're going there you strap yourself in for some serious culture uh yeah i think it's a hit on the senses because you know the roads the driving is just different in itself and i think if you've been used to that you it doesn't become so much of it as a shock and in some areas there are pollution the sewage systems aren't working the you know the, the streets the houses the buildings there's a lot of sort of destruction i suppose mm. um so yeah it's 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 that sort of onslaught on the senses so if you've already been exposed to that then certain things aren't going to you know, affect you so much. I mean, stray dogs everywhere, you know, but then, yep. you know, you head up to the north in Kurdistan, excuse me, and you have stunning, you have stunning mountains. People, like, people ski in the north in, in Kurdistan. Uh, people do lots of hiking. There's been like... Uh, the, when you say uh, ski, is there like a ski resort? Are there, are there well, ski lifts? The resort is quite optimistic. I think there's <laughs> like one ski run. This, this is what people expect. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, there is, and there's uh, um, there lots of hiking, uh, lots of, I mean, lots of the tourists from Baghdad will head up in the summer because it's ridiculously hot in the summer. So they will head to the north to the mountains where it's probably a bit cooler at 48 degrees. What? Um, and then they'll just, they'll just sit by the, water, the beautiful waterfalls, they'll hang up by the canyons, they'll... Um, yeah, just explore the, the the mountainous region up there, and it's really, yeah, it is beautiful. Right, I got a something you said before. You said you've started to really embrace, uh, say, I enjoy the music of Iraq. What is it? I I, I don't. It's this is the is. <laughs> so I'd hear it a lot when I was in uh, when I was in Syria, but it's just the Iraqi singers. It's the Arabic music, and it's so upbeat, and it's all about love. So they always use the word Habibi, which which means my love. Um, they're, always, they're always singing in every song, um, but it's it's always just like very upbeat. It's always just happy, and I would, yeah, I love, I just love the Iraqi Iraqi singers. Can you Can't get Western it. music there? Like, can Metallica oh, yeah. go there and sell a show out? Well, at this Halloween party in Baghdad that I was hanging out at a couple of weeks ago, we had this band, the local band, and there was they were like there was Bon Jovi, they were singing, there was. I mean, I had an Australian guy on tour and he was like rocking out all this. He was singing along to them. So, yeah, they were all, it was <laughs> the, really so bad. The, the, I mean, do the do many locals speak English or any of them fluent? Yes. Um, I'd say um, in certain areas, like in Kurdistan in the north, then, yeah, a lot of them do very good English. Um, mainly, the best, I think the less educated, like the younger generation, um, probably not so much. Um, but yeah, but yeah, a lot of people do. I mean, in Syria as well, when I was living there, they speak a hell of a lot. Are they getting any westernized television shows? Like, can you tune in and watch Friends on repeat? Oh yeah, Seinfeld? they've got all their YouTube. They're all on TikTok. All the kids are on that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're all yeah, and they learn a lot of them. Will learn American 
you know, because they're watching, they're learning it from the movies. Well, that's so, an interesting one because of the United States presence there in recent history. Like, is the general vibe of a local, you know, a kid in Iraq, do they look at an American going, ah, you know, you're an invader? Or like, hey, you, your culture makes cool, funny movies that I'm aspiring to. Like, what's the, is it, or is it a mishmash? No, they're already, I mean, because sometimes, I mean, there was a German guy traveling on tour and when they, when, we, when they would talk about sort of, you know, what the Brits did, what the, you know, you know, colonization and you sort of stand and think, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And yet the people on the street will ask where we're from in America, Britain, and they're like, welcome, welcome to our country. So you don't get from the, from the general public who we interact with. Mm. There is you don't feel any of that, and I never and I never have done in in the countries I travelled with. I think it's mainly the government, the political side to it that is, you know, is more so. But yeah, in, in terms of every day, no, no, I don't feel that. Well, what about because um, we've covered safety, but what about like uh, equality or, or moral ethics? Like, especially being a female, because uh, to my knowledge, in Islamic countries, there's this big differentiation of what a a man's entitled to and a woman's entitled to i mean do you i'd imagine you are wearing a burqa not a burqa like do you get spoken down to as a female or is there how how have you what what can you say about all that <laughs> yeah God, I could, I we talked for hours about this subject Go for it. Yeah. so uh, <laughs> so for example in baghdad it's pretty um pretty westernized so women it's their choice whether they do or they don't so I was working with a female guide and she was wearing her t-shirt she was wearing her jeans um when we um but there were some ladies in Baghdad who would still be covered in the burqa not the full face cover but a headscarf um a buyer let's call it so they will they'll be completely covered but in in Iraq especially in the south there's a divide between um the Islamic religion. So there's the Sunni and there's the Shia. And the in the deep in the southern part, I think that I think the divide is at the moment because it can shift a bit of the percentage, I think, is slightly more Shia, the Shia sect of the Islamic religion. And the ladies here, so the minute we head out of Baghdad, that's when I will wear my headscarf, I will have my abaya on, and I will be covered up. Um, out of respect and also I mean I would stand out like a sore thumb if I was just sort of even if I was and, and it's like no flesh is revealed so when we head to Kabbalah which I find fascinating now Kabbalah is the the shrine of so the Prophet Muhammad his grandson was called Hussein and his shrine is in Kabbalah now every year millions and I mean millions okay apart from Covid will um go on this pilgrimage from Iran as well and from a neighboring town and they would travel on foot to this city of Kabbalah. So it is the, in the Shia religion, this is the most, um, this, is, this is their ultimate pilgrimage site, pilgrimage site that they travel to. So when, you, when, I'm, when you're there, when I am there, when we're all there as women, we are fully covered. And even because of the political divide between Sunni and Shia, there is a lot of security when you go in. So we have to have our bags checked when we're walking in. So it feels like you're walking towards a shrine. It feels like you're going towards like a football stadium in a way because of that. It's, it's that sort of feeling, it's that security measure, it's that sort of lined street. And we as women have to be checked by women. 
So we're in our separate entrance that we go through. The men, as normal, they walk through. And the women, if my fringe is showing, they, they, they sort of, they say, it's haram, it's forbidden. And the women will fuss and they'll tuck all my hair in and they'll make sure that I'm all covered up, my hands, everything. So we go, go through, <laughs> then I have my next check. And if a bit of my hair's down, they put it all back for me and they make me all wow. ready to present myself. And then I'm ready to enter the shrine. So, and, oh, sorry, continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and every woman will be wearing, wearing and women will come from all of the Muslim countries all over the world to this. I mean, there are many shrines in Southern Iraq um, for the Shia uh, religion. And so, yeah, yeah. something more of, of um, the consistency of uh, Islam being followed, you got to address the, the attire accordingly. But you said, like, is that right? But they're somewhere in like yeah. like downtown Baghdad, not as much because you said your, your guides just wearing jeans and a shirt. Yeah. So the Sunni the Sunni religion is less. Uh, it seems to be that the women in and it's. I mean, this isn't by no way. This is not a hard and true fact. But in the Shia religion, it seems more predominant that the ladies will be covered up more mm. so, whereas the Sunni. Um, the ladies are a bit freer in what they choose to wear and the allowance of that. But they're certainly... How do you, how do you know the difference? How does uh, someone just turn up to Iraq and pick to understand the what think... <laughs> um, do you know? I don't know. I think we just, I think you just know the areas. So within Baghdad itself, there, Baghdad is predominantly Sunni. I think it's probably from being aware of certain countries i think it's yeah just from where i i've probably traveled that i will know this and then i will like iran i know is a predominantly shia country so i'd really have to um, consult your tour guide for this one to understand yeah it. yeah probably yeah. but then you, you will start to see like in these cities like kabbalah for example is shia predominantly shia they'd be mainly be a very small and you know people will move to sort of where the minorities and majorities are so and Here's a hypothetical, which I doubt has happened, but in time, no doubt it will. Someone from Australia, let's say from the Gold Coast. Are you familiar with the Gold Coast of Australia? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So it's very common to wear bikinis. Suppose a local Gold Coast girl flies out to Iraq to get some sun because it's 40, 50 bloody degrees. And in typical Gold Coast fashion, she's wandering down the street. She comes out of the hotel rooms like, yep. <sighs> Here comes a bikini. What would happen? How would you? Would even that happen? Has that happened? And well, what would be the reaction? Actually, it happened. It didn't happen quite like. I mean, God. When I think of that, I'm like, oh God, am I? And I have thought about that as I've been sat there watching these ladies scurry around, thinking, imagine if I just expat <laughs> style. Someone does a nudie <laughs> run down the street. What would happen? <laughs> <laughs> but no, this this lady. I think actually, this is, I think she was from Australia. Yeah, not surprised. <laughs> it's either Australia or Britain, right? One of them. <laughs> she um, this was when I was in Syria, so she, and I was in Aleppo, the northern part of Syria, which is a lot more conservative. Damascus is a bit more cosmopolitan. In the north, it's a bit more conservative. So ladies are covered up a bit more. So we were uh, all, and she was beautiful really brown, beautiful girl, but she wanted to wear one of these strapless dresses and she had quite big boobs and very nice figure, very pretty, dark hair. And we were stood, we were stood out on the, um, just at the front of the hotel and there's a very busy road in front. 
And oh my God, the traffic, I swear though, I mean, there were beeps, you could hear cars screeching to a halt. She's oblivious and she stood there with her cup of tea because she <laughs> wants to get a tan. And she's actually saying this, I just want to get a tan. And I remember just saying, I had to tell her. And I had to keep telling her, can you please just respect because people are not used to seeing flesh. You know, this is, I mean, this is making their day. It's doing a you know, new run down the, down the shopping centre. Is that equivalent? <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so throughout the tour, Sophie, her name was. I will never forget her. <laughs> she just wanted, exactly like you said, she just wanted to get a tan. Yep. And all these guys, it's like these Syrian guys, like, well, hey, Christmas has come early. Not that they celebrate Christmas. But Maybe like, that could <laughs> be the next famous uh, Iraqi TikTok. <laughs> Holy shit, that would go viral in that oh, city. Yeah, that could be if someone wants to try and get on the on the yeah, like get their hits yeah. on TikTok. <laughs> there you go, Ben. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um oh yeah, so I've got a few more things I'd love to cover. Um but I uh, food. Um why is the food there incredible? Like do you do you do you call ahead? Do you book a table for ten? Do you do you just walk into a place? How what is the food? How's the process work? What's the experience? I mean, the, the main highlight with the food is if you can manage to get, um, you know, get get in with a little ho- like a little local host, a home home. So, so if someone, one of my friends' mothers, cooking, it's just all um, because I mean, Iraq probably a little bit less. But in Syria, being on situated on the Fertile Crescent, all the food is locally sources all the food that they can that they are growing just that it's just growing the pomegranates on the trees so lots of pomegranate juice and things the melon i've never tasted fresh melon like it mm. um and then the, yeah the, the ladies it's probably the ladies cooking up a storm at home but even in the restaurants they're serving um it's lots of hummus lots of salads lots of um it is lots of chicken i mean vegetarians don't fare quite so well even though you've got quite a lot of salads but it is uh a lot of sort of chicken, lamb. The local dishes feature a lot of rice, but it is just sort of the, yeah, sort of pomegranate juices, uh, molasses that they use. I would imagine, because um, England, Australia is very similar. We've got like Coles, Woolworths. I think you've got uh, Morrison's, Tesco, you know, mass produced, tins of shit, preservatives. <laughs> Even the produce is sort of, I don't know, genetically enhanced, like to, for longevity to grow up faster, to, to reach the shelf and, uh, uh, do they have any supermarkets like that or is everything like actually grown as it's meant to on the planet? They are, they have a few, I mean, nothing, nothing in the way that we have our, like you say, tins of shit and our, you know, you can't go out, you know, in the West, we can't go anywhere without seeing food, 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 food. But I mean, we traveled for three hours, four hours, and didn't see anything apart from a little, a little shack selling sort of tomatoes at the side of the road or something. Then you want that but, tin of shit. It becomes oh good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, where is this shit? But in, like in, in the cities, in Baghdad, I think malls and supermarkets are, they are, you, you know, you're going to get your fast food, but fast food there is a shawarma, which is the, the meat that you see, um, you know, on the revolving stick thing whatever it's called and you get your pit of bread and but they, most of the time in these places you can see how they're cooking as well it's not mm. hidden like in, you know like sometimes how we will see it in um in the west where it's all hidden behind closed doors and yeah they don't they just tend to eat what what what, it, what is there really it's not and then there's no mcdonald's one guy did ask for mcdonald's it's inevitable what about um, kfc but, coca-cola is that is that infiltrated 
they, I can't even remember. I don't drink Coca-Cola. I can't remember if they had Coca-Cola or not. I think they used to have Pepsi. Well, it's not common. I mean, you, you ask no. anywhere basically in Western society where's Coca-Cola, you, like there's multiple places that, that you can just easily figure it out. So you'd really have to go to a specialty store to find Coca-Cola. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, yeah, it's not easy. Like people get to the end, it's like, I'm craving a Coca-Cola. And they predominantly drink more tea than coffee. So a lot of coffee drink. I don't, I don't drink coffee neither. God, Is that British influence? It's got to be. It's got to be. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, like, yeah, it's like tea in England's like a bloody religion. I wonder if, yeah, I wonder if there was a... I wonder, yeah, I wonder why. Right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah, I'm having my tea. But they have it with about 45 sugars. I mean, they have... Yeah. Really so yeah, coffee drinkers are a bit out of luck when it comes to trying to get a decent coffee. Um, when are, yeah, I mean, when, are, when are you going to go back to Iraq? When are you, when why why are you um, back and when are you are you going to return? I will return, but I'm actually going off to Syria the end of March, leading a tour. So well, I'm going to go there first. What are the key experiences, um, like the like experiences as in the selfie moments? Like like in Australia, for example, like uh, I come to Australia and you might want to. Uh, photograph the Opera House and the Sydney Harbour Bridge. It's another thing to do a tour and watch a show in the Sydney Opera House or perhaps climb the Harbour Bridge. You know, or there's one thing to photograph the Great Barrier Reef, which isn't that photogenic. What is amazing is you get under it and you snorkel it or scuba dive it and you immerse yourself in the fish, that experience. So it seems like all the experiences is like the culture, their history, but where's the grand selfie moments? We're like, I gotta take a photo of that. Ooh. Do they exist? Well, they are. I guess they exist depending. I guess there's not this one. You know, like you say, the Opera House. That is one that everybody knows. But Iraq is still off the radar slightly. Mm. I mean, it's quite fascinating where the two rivers, the Euphrates and the Tigris, were they, where they meet. And it's quite awesome to see Saddam's sunk yacht in what that river. His, his sunk yacht, it got bombed in the American war and his yacht's just, it, well, I say yacht, it's freaking humongous, but it's still just left in the river. That's quite cool seeing that. Are you allowed to talk about the war on the street? Like, is it, are yeah, you people, really have to be like, well, this is touchy? No, 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 people, people will. And people are quite aware of America's, I mean, I have to, you know, aware of how American uh, contractors did quite well out of it. They are all very aware in that sense of how the money that should have gone back to Iraq and its people never did, and they're still waiting for that day to happen yeah, now. So well, 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 you don't read about this. Wait, how, did you, what do you mean? What, how did you find out about this? Well, just uh, lots of, I think lots of the uh, political books I read. So, the, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think when, um, when Saddam um, was ousted or during this time, America and Britain, they're all, it's kind of like, you know, the oil that is situated in Iraq. Yep. I mean, this is essentially the gold mine, isn't it? At the moment, the, situ the security situation is always too volatile there. But when America first went in, um, it's not like the Iraqis were ever against the American soldiers per se as Americans, but then what then went on to happen uh, during the people who were in power in America was, the contracts that should have gone to the Iraqi people to rebuild their country again hmm. after the war never went to the Iraqis. They were all subcountry. Sub I guess, yeah, profits out. would have. Uh, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a politician, and it's. I guess from a from a surface level, you know, like I say, I've worked in construction for years, and 
when a contractor turns up to a town to build the money, usually that money's recirculated in the local economy in some shape or form. So I guess the circulation might have been going back to the motherland being, you know, United States, UK and so on. So I guess the circulation perhaps wasn't flown back into it. Is it? That's it. That's it. And and yeah, and a lot of and a lot of people, a lot of people got, as you can imagine, got so frustrated. It's like these are architects. This is our country. Let us try and rebuild our country. We have factories, cement workers there to do it, and yet you are paying your American colleagues. I mean, I could list probably a lot of the corporations. And um, I mean, I've always read about this. I've always read about the. What I like to think of the truth behind the wars behind Iraq about who's making a lot of money from what. So I kind of go down that route to see that it wasn't just way hey, America's like saving the world. It's like, yeah, are you America? Are you? Mm. But these but are the anyway. advantages of traveling. Like, like I yes. said, I can Google this, I can watch all the documentaries, but you can be like yourself and turn up in person and go experience yeah. it for yourself and figure out your own conclusion yeah. firsthand instead of. Instead of watching a podcast and, you know, getting that sort of <laughs> I wonder if anyone's going to be like, yeah, run, book me in on that next round. <laughs> <friend there." laughs> All right. Um, Carly, got a few more questions. Um, the obvious question is the elephant in the room when it comes to travelling, COVID. So how is COVID? Is it rampant around there? Is it being managed? Is there lockdowns? What's... What are the, how are they managing COVID? Um, when, uh, it, it's not as evident, but then I don't know if that's because you're not sort of hearing the news bulletins quite so much as you are in the West. But people are wearing masks. Um, when we're travelling on our little bus, um, supposed to wear masks as well. In In certain areas, I think some people do but don't. It's not really enforced um is there testing like is there yeah before before we flew back is it easy to get tested yeah yeah um we were tested i think it's i think it was 72 hours before flying um although in iraq it was three days rather than if you you come down with the sniffles and you're you've been in iraq for a week you think shit i might have covid what what do you do how how do you manage that there's uh there's really efficient little test areas that you can head into really clean efficient clinic efficient clinics that will i mean i had my results back within six hours for my covid test and it was all uh yeah all done paid for it obviously um so yeah they're all we all have we all have to have that and present that negative covid test before leaving i mean that's not like a few of us did think yeah i'm not that bothered about being stuck here for another 10 days in a hotel but yeah 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 Although I was actually, because it was really nice weather. So I thought if I can just sit out on the balcony, I'd be all right. <laughs> Didn't want to fly back to England. <laughs> Soak up that sun while you can. Sit there in my bikini, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you learn from the Aussies. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. All right. Um, I'd like to be able to wrap up this podcast, but um, I found that you know, possibly probably on a highlight, but the reason I really appreciated talking to you about Iraq, it's kind of like um, when I used to, or we used to take trips around Europe, you know, it's usually fun, fun, happy, happy, fun, fun times. And then you get to Germany and it's amazing. But with Germany, you go talk to the elephant in the room and you go talk, well, 
the Nazis. You know, everyone's heard of it. It's not, can't really see it. There's not a lot to memorialize that. And if you're grateful or lucky enough to go to a concentration camp or a death camp, it's, um, yeah, I highlight, I recommend everyone to do it, but it's not like a, oh my God, you're going to have a fun experience. And, but is that kind of like the overall vibe of Iraq where you're like, hey, this, not the holiday, but you're going to get a lot out of this experience. Like, this is sort of a once in a lifetime, well, in your case, many times experience. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I know, yeah, I know what you mean about Germany. I think Germany feels a bit more somber in a way and I don't know if that's just my personal take on that but in Iraq it's there but I think it's there in a country as a whole that has gone through upheaval after upheaval but for the people that you will meet and interact with it's as if we have to let that go it is history we're going to talk about it we can look at it you can ask questions about it we'll go into it but it's not really what we are essentially Mm. um so it doesn't it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't necessarily sort of dominate in that sense, but you will see everywhere that you look in the South, you know, remnants, big remnants of what has happened. But then I think, like you say, it is something that you see. And then from that, then you also see how people do kind of get on with that and take and accept that, yeah, it is part of history. This is what happened. And it is a part of every day. You know, when we travel, there's one of Saddam's palaces that's you know I mean it's been completely looted it's got graffiti everywhere but every day you're you're you know you're learning about that and it is part of our history that yeah I think it is important to absolutely yeah couldn't agree more um final thing and um you're welcome to tackle this one any any shape or form that you like I always try to leave things on a positive note if possible because you know out of the darkness comes the light and the light yeah, could be yeah. a funny story. Um, I get asked this quite a lot uh, just because as a tour guide, you get exposed to a lot of shit. Funny, bad, impactful, you name it. Um, but do you have just in general of travel experience a funny tour guiding story? Because I know you used to guide in Europe for a number of years and now you're in the Middle East. Anywhere of your travels. I know you want to – actually, how many – before, how many countries have you been to? Do you know what, Ben? I, people ask me this on the tour, and I, I never, I never, I've never counted them because I tend to go back to the same ones. But I remember about six years ago, I did sit down and count them with, I think it was a couple of expat guys. I think we all sat down one day and thought, you know, on a, on a quiet eve, probably with about seven bottles of wine. <laughs> and <laughs> that's just for starters. And yeah. I think it was about late 70s early 80s country that's pretty awesome and i know you've spent many years abroad being from the uk so in all those tour guiding experiences Mm -hmm. do you have any sort of standout when people ask you so what's the craziest thing that's ever happened (laughs) probably would be my barcelona story i I mean there are many of this i think i know this one i think yeah it was years uh, ago do tell I think, yeah, it was so nights out in Barcelona. I think knowing that as a tour guide, we had a free day the next day. It was like, wow, I can just, I can just go a little bit crazy, a little bit crazier tonight. This is when I was a lot younger. Okay. Now I'm in bed at 10. So <laughs> yeah, I remember we all went out to the, to the, the, the clubs in Barcelona. Nights don't get going until about 10, do they? The driver and I, and all of our group, really good group. 
Um, they, it was the budget tours. Of course, I had to embrace this. You know, I had to be the party animal. The budget tour has the loosey gooseys. It attracts the party animals for that type of tour. Oh, group. Yeah. Yes. And of course, you know, I have to, um, yeah, have to kind of, you know, take this, this, this position of party You're animal. leading the way. Yeah, so off we go into Barcelona after pre-drinking and then we get into the clubs and then the, the guy who owns the clubs is giving us, you know, and they're all free poor aren't they? Anyway, short story, the short part of that was I got very, very, very drunk and I think maybe five in the morning, go back to the hotel room, nice Ibis hotel room. And the driver and I were on, I think, level five of the hotel room. And I think he, I can't even remember if the driver came back in the taxi with me. Anyway, when I... When I sleep at night, I sleep in just my knickers. Um, and oh God, I'm trying to, and so what happened was I, the, all my group were on level floor, the driver and I were on level five, and I'd woken up, uh, I think it was about eight in the morning, and panicked, thinking, oh my God, my group, are they back? Are they, are they need me? They need me, and I, I got my, picked up my key, one of the little, you know, the little tappy. Electronic key card, yep, yep. Yeah, thinking, oh my God, and it is Patty, you know, because your group, they're like, there you look after, I'm thinking, oh my God, I've got to go get my group. So I picked up my key and walked out the door. The door shut behind me, I've still got my key to make sure that I can get down to the next level. And I get in the lift and it just, <laughs> and it just, and but for some reason the key hadn't worked and it just, it was going down to level zero. Now in this, in this moment, as I'm stood in the lift, there are no mirrors in the lift, I realise, I look down, I realise I don't have my clothes on. I have just been <laughs> Anyway, the lift stops at reception. Actually, it must have been about nine, half past nine. The door opens. There's a big mirror across and I'm stood there with my arms over my boobs and I can <laughs> see all of my group in the reflection of the mirror. I look across to reception and the staff are like, oh, like that with their faces, and they're like, they give me a key, give me a key, give me a key, because this one didn't work. And one of them just ran over and gave me the key, and oh my God, I couldn't pray for that door to shut quick enough. So what happened? <laughs> Why did I pick up a key and not put my top on? I love it. I love it. That has gone down. There's, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of um, trip leader stories that go down in folklore, and that, that's up there with the greats. <laughs> Uh, being um, it, but it, that's what happens on tour, you know. You think yeah. the itinerary is going to go exactly like it says, and then all of a sudden, by the hour, things change. change. <laughs> <laughs> Win. <laughs> oh my god! But it, it, I tell you what, ah, but anyone who has that type of mind frame or the ability to to endure that and keep on with the trip. I think has the mindset to be able to go to Iraq and, and guide with a lot of success. I'd happily go on. Do that in Iraq. Sorry. As long as I don't do that in Iraq. <laughs> well, it's a first time for everything. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe I'll be on Iraq. And um, I tell you, there's um, it's nearly impossible for me to be able to go on a guided trip again. But um, I'd happily be one of your guests or travelers on one of your trips. I think. Oh, it'd be awesome to have you there, Ben. It would be so good. Yeah, and once again, um, I really appreciate your time and everything you've shared. Um, I reckon we could probably do another one, just uh, several just around the Middle East alone. Like there's so much what I'd call a golden nugget of information, which I'd just love <laughs> to learn about and share. So I really appreciate yeah, that. Awesome. Definitely, yeah. Or just watch out for me on TikTok streaking, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, I'll, I'll get the Barcelona one as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Probably awesome exists. One of your guests have got to film that. <laughs> it could be. You could I be know, famous. Right? I'm waiting. I'm literally waiting one day to be like, oh, God, there I am. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh good. Well, Carly, really appreciate everything. And, and thank you so much. Until, we, um, until next time. Take care. Yeah, I look forward to chatting, Ben. Take care of yourself, okay? Cheers. Yeah, bye-bye.